And now, coming to you from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting throughout the multiverse, the Nine Realms, Niflheim, Svartalfheim, Olympus, Niedeveller, basically anywhere that has the internet, really, we proudly present Radio 3 Asgard. You are tuned to Radio Free Asgard, episode number 252. The Binding of Loki. Loki knew that his days in Asgard had come to an end. He knew how soon anguish can give way to anger, and was sure the gods would avenge Baldur's death and detention in hell. He ran away. He made for a deserted part of Midgard, a remote place in the mountains at the head of a steep valley that fell into the sea. He found a hollow near Franang's Falls, and using the rock and rubble lying all around, built a low house that no man was likely to see until he had stumbled into it. It had four doors so that Loki could keep watch in every direction. Even so, he felt unsafe. When a gull circled and shrieked, or scree shifted on the mountain, or wind whistled in his walls, the trickster leapt up in alarm, certain that he had been tracked down. It didn't matter that days passed without a single visitor. Loki's anxiety grew greater day by day. He could not escape his own canker. He thought he might be better off if he were out of the house and in disguise. At dawn, the shape-changer often turned himself into a salmon and leapt into the seething cauldron at the base of Frenning's Falls. The cross currents whirled around him, the thunder roared above him, still the salmon felt unsafe. In Loki's mind it was not a question of whether, but of when, the gods would catch up with him. But fearful as he was, hunted and in hiding, he was more fearful of vengeance, and vowed to remain at large for as long as he had the wits to do so. Early one evening, Loki sat beside his fire and began to play with some lengths of linen twine. He arranged them and rearranged them. He laid them out across each other and tied them and made them into a net with so fine a mesh that not even a small fish could hope to slip through it. For a long time, he stared at his fine device. Suddenly, he heard the sound of voices down in the valley. He saw a group of gods making their way toward him. Loki jumped up, threw the net into the fire, and hurried out of the door overlooking Franning's Falls. He ran down the slope, turned himself into a salmon once more, and slid into the boiling, icy water. There was nothing that escaped Odin's eye when he sat at Lindskjalf. He saw the comings and goings of every living creature in the Nine Worlds, and when he saw Loki's efforts to escape his fate, he sent a party of gods from Asgard to capture him. The first to step across the threshold of Loki's house was Kvasir, the wisest of them all. In the half-light, he peered around without a word. He looked at the rough table and bench, the bare walls, the almost lifeless fire. Kvasir bent down and stared at the pattern of gleaming white ash. He carefully examined it and understood what he saw. This, he said to his companions, is some device for catching fish. Let us catch a fish. 
The gods sat down in Loki's house and gave over the rest of the evening to making a wide net with which to drag the pool at the base of the falls and the river that hurried down the valley to the sea. They copied the subtle pattern Kvasir had found in the embers, and before they slept they had finished their work and were well content with it. At dawn the gods walked down under Franning's falls. The roar of water slamming against water was deafening. The air was misty with whirling and drifting spray. The gods stared around them and the whole world looked oyster and ivory and gray. Then Thor took one end of the net and motioning to the others to stay where they were waded across the water. So the gods began to drag the river and the salmon swam downstream in front of them. After a time, Wily Loki found a safe place where the water sluiced between two slimy boulders, and he nestled there so that the net only scraped his back and did not snare him. When the gods brought up the net, there was nothing in it. They were all sure, though, that they had felt something alive in the water. They decided to try again, and this time they used stones to weight the bottom of the dragnet so that nothing could swim under it. Now the gods made their way back to the base of Franning's Falls, Thor on one side and all the rest on the other, and dropped the net into the water. Once more Loki swam ahead of them as they dragged the river, but this time there was no safety on the riverbed. He had no choice but to hurry on downstream. When Loki saw that the gods meant to drag the tumbling river right down to the shallows where it opened onto the sea, he turned round to face the net. He arched his back and with all his strength sprang into the air and right over it. The gods shouted and pointed at the salmon shining in the sunlight. They hurried back up to Franning's Falls, and there they argued about how to catch it. Each god had his own idea, but in the end they bowed to Kvasir. He said they should split into two groups, one on either bank, all except Thor who was to wade in midstream just behind the net. Now the gods began to drag the river for a third time. As before, Loki swam downstream some way in front of them. He knew that only two choices were open to him, to squirm and jump across the long stretch of shallows into the sea, or to turn and leap over the dragnet again. He thought the gods might catch him before he reached the safety of deep water, and so he turned, arched his back into a rainbow, and sprang into the air. The salmon flashed in the sunlight and jumped clear of the net. Then Thor groped and clutched at it, and the salmon slithered through his hands. Thor held on and tightened his grip. He squeezed and stayed the slippery salmon by its tail. It writhed and it twisted, but it would not escape. Loki was caught at last, and he knew it. After Baldur's death, not one of the gods would stain Gladsheim by spilling Loki's blood. There was nothing holy about the barren ground of Midgard, and they were all eager to take vengeance on him. While Thor and one group of gods led Loki into a twilight cave, a dismal cavern belonging to bats and ticking with the drips of water from stalactites, the other party went off in pursuit of Loki's two sons, Vali and Narvi. They changed Vali into a wolf, and at once he leapt at his brother and sunk his teeth into his throat. He ripped Narvi's body apart before bounding away, howling toward Jotunheim. The gods took over where Vali had left off. They drew out Narvi's entrails and made their way to the cave. Loki's faithful wife, Sigyn, went with them, sorrowing over the fate of her two sons, 
the fate of her husband. Loki was thrown to the ground. He lay still. He looked at nobody and said nothing. Then the gods took three slabs of rock, stood them on end, and bored a hole through each of them. They stretched Loki over them, unwound Inarvi's entrails, and bound him with the gut of his own son as no one had ever been bound before. They trust Loki's shoulders to one slab, twisting the gut round his body under his armpits. They strapped Loki's loins to one slab, winding the gut round and round his hips. They clamped Loki's kneecaps to one slab, tying the gut round his legs. And no sooner was Loki bound than the entrails of his son became as hard as iron. Then Skadi carried a vile snake into the cave. She fastened it to a stalactite high up in the darkness so that its venom would drip straight onto Loki's face. For all his wiles and wit, there was nothing Loki could do. He lay still. He looked at nobody and said nothing. Then the gods left Loki there. No longer flushed but heavy-hearted and sorrowing, they left him to his fate and to faithful Sigyn. Sigyn and Loki wait in the damp, twilight cave, listening to the eerie echoes of each drip, the sound of the silence, the sound of their own breathing. Sigyn holds a wooden bowl over Loki's face, and slowly it fills with the snake's venom. When it is brimming, Sigyn carries the bowl away and empties it into a rock basin, a fermenting pool of poison. Loki is left unguarded, he screws up his eyes. The snake does not wait. Its venom splashes onto Loki's face, and in torment he shudders and writhes. He cannot escape, and the whole earth quakes. Loki lies bound. That is how things are, and how things will remain until Ragnarok. So as you might be able to determine from the tone of the story, we're getting close to the end. Things have taken a decidedly darker turn as we pass the death of Balder, which we covered quite some time ago, and and into the story of Ragnarok, which we'll be covering in episode 261, so it'll be nine episodes from now. But then that's it for this Kevin Crossley Holland book. We're not going to have the Neil Gaiman book in time to actually continue on after that, I don't think, uh, because the uh, Gaiman book comes out in February. So I'm not really sure. I might, maybe, maybe it'll work out. We might, we might be able to do that. But uh, I'm not really sure when the book is going to come out and, and when it does come out, how quickly I'll be able to get a copy. But, but I do intend to get the Neil Gaiman book and we'll actually start to cover the stories again. Uh, and I'm going to try to do a, a different format to, you know, to kind of mix it up a little bit. I have a feeling that, that Gaiman's stories are going to be a little bit different in tone. But I am looking forward to covering them because I think it's, it's kind of neat that uh, he, he's taken on that challenge. And uh, hopefully he'll, um, he'll go back and, and you know, get to the real dirt of some of these stories. Now, the, there are some interesting things about this particular version. And that is that the Crossley Holland did not adapt it as he usually did from Snorri Sturluson's version. In Crossley Holland's opinion, Sturluson's version was a little bit too corrupted by Christian influence. Now, that may not be all that surprising, being the fact that Snorri Sturluson was a Christian priest. But he instead went to an older text and used Sturluson's outline and filled in the details using this earlier version. So this is one of the few stories that 
you could argue is is a more original Crossley Holland creation than a lot of the others. So I, I do like the fact that uh, you kind of have a starring role for Thor, even in Loki's story, because really, this is all about Loki. But Thor, of course, has to have a starring role, you know, being the one who captures Loki, of course. But also, I like the little details they throw in, like the fact that, uh, you know, Thor being Thor, he can hold one whole end of the net while all the rest of the gods take the other side because he's just that strong. <laughs> so he kind of steals the show without even trying to. Uh, and I do like that little, that little point. That being said, this is Loki's story, and this is where Loki was waiting for, for Ragnarok, in a cave, tied up in the entrails of his own son, having snake venom dripped on his face. Now, there's a number of characters here who don't get a lot of play in Norse mythology, the first being the god Kvazir. We really don't see him very often. I think we've only seen him in one other story, maybe two. And in those, he was not nearly as active as he is in this. This is by far the most he's had to do in any of the stories he's been in. And then, we, of course, we have Loki's two sons by Sigyn, Vali, not to be confused with Odin's son, Vali, and Narvi. This is the only story which those two characters appear in. And indeed, I think this is the only story that Sigyn appears in. So not quite sure. I'm assuming, of course, like for a lot of these stories, that there is some something missing, something in the, in the past that, that was supposed to fill in this gap. At least I'd like to think so. And maybe someday, you know, things being what they are, maybe we'll find it. Maybe we will eventually invent a time machine and be able to go back and, and recover all of these lost stories, which would be freaking amazing because I would love to hear them. All right. So this is a real short episode, folks. I don't really want to cover an issue of Hercules here. I, it just feels inappropriate somehow. And I really don't have anything else that I can cover. So we're just going to go ahead and call this a, a short show. You know, a little bit of a break for me, I guess. But uh, <laughs> because, of course, we do have the rest of the Hercules mini to cover. And uh, so the next couple of weeks will be that. And then we're going to get into the holiday season. Yes, folks, I'm going to be taking a week off during the holiday season. Just uh, letting you guys know in advance. It's not for any particular reason other than the fact that I'm probably going to be out of town for a week. So... Uh, that'll be the uh, the last week of December. Uh, we will not have a show. I'm gonna probably have a uh, another uh, fill-in episode, another Norse mythology episode, because now that we're getting this close to the end, I can go ahead and assemble all the rest of those. I don't want to put those out all at once, though, because I do like to have something in reserve. But I know that uh, a lot of people, including uh, Chris Bendorf, have been asking about those because I've been you know, talking about turning those into episodes for a long time. And I think we have like three of them uh, or three or four of them you know, to, to complete this book. So I think we've issued two and there will be, I think, three or four more. And that'll be the uh, complete Norse mythology uh, series that, that is kind of a mini series of this show. Anyway, uh, so that's about it. Uh, once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We do appreciate it. And of course, if you have any comments, questions, etc., you can email them to us. RadioFreeAsgard at gmail.com is the email address. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just look for our Facebook group, Radio Free Asgard, on Facebook, because where else would you have a Facebook group? 
and you will find us. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, not disguised as a salmon. A salmon are yummy, though. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. You have been listening to Radio Free Asgard, a production of Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The Mighty Thor and all associated characters are mostly copyright Marvel Comics. The stories presented are done so for educational, review, and entertainment purposes only. No ownership is implied. The silly voices, however, well, they're all me. Musical selections from Eden, the Invincible Sword of the Elfsmith, are copyright Mott's Vent and are used with permission. If you like what you've heard on the show, we hope you'll leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, or even join our Facebook group. We really love hearing from our listeners, and we appreciate all of your support. Thanks once again very much for listening to Radio Free Asgard.